What's up, Video Landers? I'm your host, Brad Hawkins. Quick reminder, you can find us on adventuresinvideoland.com or on our Facebook at Adventures in Videoland. When I was a kid, I was a fan of monster toys. My Pet Monster, Mad Balls, Garbage Pail Kids, but one of my favorite toys was this rubbery hand puppet called a Boglin. I still remember the packaging. It came in a cage-like box. You could make the eyes move back and forth. It was like you were playing with a little movie prop. I even remember watching the Boglins commercial. Scaring Aunt Martha, Boglins eating your peas, scaring little girls. Boglins really inspired my imagination as a kid. Probably fueled some nightmares too. So tonight I took another stroll down memory lane. I just finished talking with Boglin creator Tim Clark. We had a great conversation. We talked about Boglins, 80s toys, his career working with Jim Henson, working on the Muppets, Fraggle Rock, the Dark Crystal. Tim has some really awesome stories. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Please welcome the king of gross, Tim Clark. Welcome to Videoland, Tim. Hey. So tell us a little bit about your involvement with uh, Puppeteer Kermit Love and, and how you started working for the Jim Henson Company. Well, uh, Kermit uh, taught a puppetry class at Pratt where I went to college. And... Um, his class was very popular and it was given preference if you were a theater major at Pratt and I was not, I was an art ed major. And so then it was, you could get into the class your senior year and I got in finally, um, my senior, well, last semester of my senior year. And that's how I met Kermit. And um, I just knew that I wanted to outdo anything anybody else was doing in that class. I was determined to, to really give it my all. Not that I was expecting um, him to you know, ask me to work for him, which he, he, which he did, but just because I wanted to prove, you know, to myself what I could accomplish. And so towards the end of the semester, he said to me, what are you doing after you graduate? And I said, well, I'm looking for a teaching job. But at that time, there were very few teaching jobs for our teachers, but, you know, for teachers in general, because, it was the baby boom generation um, graduating from college, and the following generation was actually quite small. So um, he then said to me, well, would you be interested in coming to work for me? And I said, yeah, of course. You know, I didn't even have to think twice about it. So um, I started working for Kermit the next fall in at his studio on Great Jones Street in New York. And then that led you to Jim Henson Company, correct? Yeah, well, I worked for, for Kermit for a year. Kermit had most of the contract work to do the Sesame Street characters for um, all the Sesame Street shows throughout the world. So um, he did Sesame Street characters for Mexico, um, while I was there, we did Kuwait and Germany, and um, he also did a lot of puppets for TV commercials, and um, Kermit started out in the theater and ballet world, so we also did costuming for New York City Ballet and Joffrey Ballet and for Twyla Tharp, and so it was a mix of all those different things. That's awesome. And so then... Yeah, yeah, it was it was an incredible experience. Were you involved in making um, Big Bird and some of those other characters then? Well, those would have to be redone every year. Okay. So the previous year character puppet would be used as the backup, but almost every year we made a new one because they had to be immaculate. And Big Bird, because of his color and the feathers, would get dirty very easily and it's not like he could be washed you know so um almost every year and almost everybody who works at Muppets at one time has had to do 
you know, Snuffy or Big Bird, you know, it's like, that's the beginning job, you know, there, it's the grunt, the grunt labor of, um, applying all those feathers onto Big Bird's body. Well, so, so take us back to your first meeting with Jim Henson. What was that experience like? Well, Kermit, um, after I had been there a year, Kermit, um, came to me and he said, um, Jim is starting up a new project at Henson and I think you would be really good for it. And I want you to go up and interview with him. And I said, great, you know, cause, um, Kermit's work was very inconsistent. You know, it's like, you know, there would be, you know, weeks at a time where you wouldn't have anything to do. So, um, he said, I've set up a, uh, interview for you next Tuesday. And he said, just take all the stuff that you've been doing, you know, that you did in class and then all the stuff that you've been doing in your spare time and show it to him. And I said, okay. So I gathered all my puppets together and met with Jim the next Tuesday. And I just kept pulling all this stuff out, um, that I had done. One was a, like an eight foot long dragon where my hand went in one into his head and then my head was a bump in his back and the other, my other hand went into his tail. And, um, I had done a crab where I used both my hands to create the four, uh, legs and my thumbs to, to move the eyes. And, um, I had done the fly hand puppet, which ended up being coming, uh, the sector, the very first sector. Oh, nice. Um, so there was a lot of different, I was basically not, I hadn't really, I had done one puppet where, uh, that was kind of like a Chinese dragon almost, um, that was a hand mouth puppet, but everything else was using my hands or my whole body in a different way, which is why Kermit sent me. And, um, Jim just said, you know, this is great. You know, he said, I really like what you're doing. I like how you're not just making, you know, hand and mouth puppets. And then he said to me, when can you start? And I oh, said, wow. tomorrow. <laughs> and, and he said, no, no, I have to talk to the people in the office. Um, why don't you come back, uh, no, next Tuesday, and we'll have you know everything ready for you to sign papers and everything else. So that's what happened. And when I started working at Muppets, I think there were probably about twenty-five people in the entire company. Wow, that's how small it was. Like we would have meetings, and everybody would all be sitting in one conference room. So it's like you, you know. I knew everybody and everybody knew you and I was very lucky to work with, you know, the most talented people on the planet when it came to puppetry because Jim had hired people who had worked for Bill Baird and, um, people who had worked, I think out in California for Sidney Marty Croft and a bunch, you know, like all kinds of people who came from different, areas of the puppet world it wasn't just like don Celine had built the puppets for burr's tolstrom of kukla fran and ollie and um don was probably the most instrumental in creating the muppet look of those simple shapes with the eyes and eyelids and everything else it was very much uh don Celine. Even though there was only 25 people, uh, did you know how special, you know, Muppets and Sesame Street was at the time? Did you know how big it was going to get? Well, Sesame Street was already successful, and Muppet Show had started, I'm not sure how many years Muppet Show had already been on when I started. I started there in, uh, 78, I think. Yes. Well, I started working for Kermit right after I graduated. So that was 77, 78 or 79. So in the fall of 78, I started working on Dark Crystal and Brian 
Proud was there, and when Wendy Meidner, who became Wendy Froud, um, was there. Uh, I think Lee Donaldson, who did a lot of the mechanisms for the Skeksis. Um, and I'm, I can't remember, Marianne Harms, who worked on the pod people, was there, and Sherry Amott, who worked on the costuming and uh, building of the mystics with me. So I did all the sculpting of the heads and the hands and did the mechanisms for them, um, as well as building the structure to support the costumes. That's how we started, and um, Dick Smith, Jim had to hire Dick Smith to come in and show us how to work with foam latex because um, we knew we couldn't be carving them all out of blocks of foam and coating them. They would not look the same. Each character would be would have been uh, different. So Dick came in and showed us how to to work with foam latex, and it was great. He was he was wonderfully helpful and very giving of his his process and the way he approached working with materials that was a great experience what was jim henson like as a collaborator i mean was he open to suggestions um how did that creative process work with him i you know what i never realized how um open to things jim was until i had to go work for other companies (laughs) because you know it in many ways it was like really my first job working in the arts out of college and in college of course you have a lot of freedom to do a lot of things and you know the whole idea is to to try and create your own uh create you know artistic look and Jim was very open to to our ideas and in fact even early on in the production of Dark Crystal we sat in on uh, story meetings and script meetings and you know he was open to hearing our suggestions of how we thought the story should go so um, it was interesting because in one of those meetings they were trying to figure out how they would end the film and um, I said well I think at the end you know at, at they were just going to have the mystics and the Skeksis join back together and go into the crystal. And I said, no, I think, you know, they should come out of the top of the crystal as a new creature. And Jim said, that's a brilliant idea. <laughs> that's so awesome. That, that actually, you know, got put in the, the movie as the Urskex is that, you know, these, these creatures had split apart and, then rejoined and became uh, a new creature. Well, what they what they were originally. And you actually designed some unreleased toys for Dark Crystal. Is that right? Yeah. Um, back in, gosh, I think it was like eighty two or when the just before the movie was released, um, Hasbro had gotten the rights to produced the toy products as action figures and I sculpted the Gartham, the Mystic and the Landstrider. Oh, nice. Because I had, I had worked on um, both the Landstrider. Gartham, the Gartham were all built by Fred Nida, who was a theatrical uh, armor in New York City. And um, Sherry Amott, who had done a lot of theatrical costuming brought Fred on to specifically to build the Carthen, which was an incredibly labor intensive process. <laughs> so, so why did, why didn't those toys get released then? Um, when the movie came out, Hasbro saw the movie and said, you know, this movie is terrifying and no kid is going to go see this. <laughs> Let alone and, play with the toys. Right? And we're never going to sell any toys. <laughs> now, um, I, as far as I know, that was the reason they never released them. Uh, Jim Mahon, who was an art director at Muppet, said they never had any intention of bringing them out. They only agreed to do the Dark Crystal toys because 
they wanted to do Muppet Baby toys, but that didn't that doesn't make sense to me because the cost of making those molds and producing them, they actually did make the injection molding, you know, pieces because I have the earliest prototypes um, that were pulled out of those metal molds. Oh, that, awesome! That the cost of making those metal molds is, you know, is really it's a lot. It's a huge investment. So I find it hard to believe. I I have tend to believe that it is what I heard that they just decided that um, the movie was too scary and that the toys wouldn't sell. So they backed out of it, which was very unfortunate. So what are your, what are your thoughts on this Netflix prequel series, uh, the dark crystal age of resistance? Do you have an opinion on that at all? I have no idea. I, you know, it's like, it's the secrecy behind that whole thing is incredible. (laughs) I mean, it was funny because when I was in London for London toy con, uh, this April, I met some people in, in, who were working on it just by accident in a pub one night. And, um, they said, they can't say anything. They, they said, they said it's, it's looks incredible. And there's 16 sets that have been built. Um, and they said it, it, you know, right now it looks phenomenal, but they couldn't really talk about it. There's like, everybody is super tight lipped about it, including including uh brian and wendy you know i and i saw um i saw toby froud their son at um dragon con last fall and you know they they are not allowed to talk about it at all wow and yeah did you get a call did you get a call at all to help uh does you know design the mystics or you know just any input on any of the designs you know i i I wish they had contacted me, but um, because Toby said early on they really didn't have um, very good reference material for the original ones, um, which I was surprised because Brian had taken a lot of photographs, but he said um, a lot of the stuff, I guess, has been misplaced or was destroyed. I don't know. but I So therefore, I have... I have photographs that I took and photographs that Brian took that may be the only ones in existence. Wow. So, um, uh, Henson contacted me about bringing them in and I said, you know, they said, could you FedEx them to me? I said, no, I'm not going to FedEx them. <laughs> I, will, I will, I will bring them to you and you can, you know, scan them and give them back to me, but I'm not about to, take the risk of sending them through the mail yeah because i've since learned how valuable they are so yeah right so are you excited yeah, for he said they didn't really have a lot to work on and i said well why didn't you get in touch with me he said tim he said i don't know you know it's like i don't know why we didn't you know i can't tell you why i said it just never came up at the time i i think they they really want to you know start anew with fresh eyes and you know that's their prerogative so are you excited for this at all are you going to watch it when it comes out oh yeah definitely i i definitely you know the good thing is that brian and wendy and toby are involved so i'm sure they're they're going to maintain you know what the true spirit of the movie is i i don't doubt that for a second so after Dark Crystal, you worked on the Fraggle Rock TV series. So how did how did you contribute to that franchise? Uh, well, when uh, I finished working on Dark Crystal, um, Jim very nicely said, "Tim, you got married <laughs> while this movie was being made, and you never had a honeymoon." And he said, "I want you to take your wife and um, go and just have a honeymoon and." take five weeks off and then we'll see you back in New York city. Nice. He said, cause we're starting up a new thing for, you know, a new show. And I said, okay, great. So we, I had five weeks off and then we, we packed up all our stuff and it got shipped back to New York and I got there and started working on Fraggle Rock and 
um, the, the first thing I had to do was uh, design and build Uncle Traveling Matt oh, nice. for Fraggle Rock. And then uh, after that, Jane Gutnick and I worked with uh, Foz, who Foz had created a new radio-controlled uh, Muppet um, based on some work that he had done earlier for uh, Kermit riding the bicycle. But um, he had advanced it so that um, one puppeteer basically could control, let's say, six puppets at once uh, through radio control. And so Jane and I had to build all the singing fraggles in the background that were radio controlled. Oh, wow. And it was, it was not an easy task because uh, weight was a big problem and so we had to work with very thin fleece we had to make sure that the eyes were on the right position in the head because if they were too far forward the mouth wouldn't open if they were too far back the mouth would just open and chatter you know it would open and close smoothly so it took a lot of practice for us to get them to work and then each one was supposed to look different they weren't you know all supposed to look the same so that was that was a long and arduous task <laughs> unfortunately um they didn't get used that much because uh the tv show was shot in toronto and we had done all this work in the workshop in new york city and by the time they took them up to Toronto, um, the the radio control frequencies that they were working with in New York were interrupted by fire engines and police radio oh, in wow. Toronto. <laughs> so the puppets were just like, you know, they would be working fine and then some police car would go by, you know, and be calling out stuff over there radio and the puppets would just like fritz out and start acting <laughs> erratically so i think they they tried it for a while and they tried changing frequencies but you know the whole thing got they got very frustrated and i think they finally in the second season just ditched the whole idea of doing the radio controls and um just went back to using puppeteers so what was your favorite yeah. experience working on Fraggle Rock or the Muppets or Dark Crystal? Um, no, Dark Crystal was two and a half years of my life. Wow. And was definitely the most significant and most incredible experience I've had in doing puppets. Um, and like I said, you know, you were... You know, it's like I, when I was in art school, I was I would think about how great it was or how lucky, you know, um, painters were to be in France at the turn of the century with all these great artists hanging out at bars and talking and, you know, doing all this great impressionist painting. And, I, you know, it was only recently that I looked back and I said, you know, like, I was so lucky to be in that place at that time because we were just doing things that people had not even thought about doing with puppetry in so many ways so it was like a renaissance period oh yeah and and now it's kind of disappeared because of cgi that there really isn't a lot of i mean there is some interest in uh doing puppetry still but um you know, it's changed. It's it's the whole way of doing uh, special effects work in, in television has changed dramatically. Yeah, and with all your designs, I mean, you've designed the Mystics for Dark Crystal, Traveling Matt for Frag, uh, Fraggle Rock, and you even worked on Big Bird. So what's your favorite puppet design out of all the puppets you've worked on? Can you even narrow it down to one? Oh, gosh. I, <laughs> you know, I the, the Mystics definitely were the, the biggest challenge and um, when I see them on screen 
I'm still amazed at how effective they were. That's cool. And um, traveling mat, I like because Foz always used to drill it into my head that to keep things as simple as possible. You know, the the simpler you make a mechanism, um, the less that can go wrong with it. And if it has to be repaired on set, it's something quick and easy rather than, um, you know, doing a radio control mechanism, which when it fritzes out is very problematic. So um, when I was building uh, Uncle Traveling Matt, um, Michael Frith, who had done this, the drawings of him, um, had, you know, this mustache. And I said, you know, like, what can I do with this mustache to make it move easily and effectively? So I took two um, plastic pieces of plastic dowel, basically, plastic rod, and I glued fur fabric around it and then feathers. And the great thing about feathers is that the slightest movement, you know, shows um, because they're so um, light. And, you know, uh, Muppets basically uh, advanced that whole idea of mixing uh, feathers and fur fabric to give puppets life because, you know, the slightest breeze, you know, they it comes alive. Like uh, even Snuffleupagus, uh, is fur has ostrich feathers stripped off one at a time and then glued into his fur wow. to make his fur move. Um, so I then connected the two um, sides of his mustache with just a piece of rubber surgical tubing. And Dave Goles, who was the puppeteer for Uncle Traveling Matt, um, when he would push his fingers forward inside his head, it would move his mustache back. And if it, if he pushed down, it would move it up. And if he pushed, um, you know, up, it would, you know, point his mustache down. So it was very easy to do. And it added an incredible amount of character to him in, you know, his expression. So, um, yeah, that was that was like one of the simplest things I ever made and most effective. So you think uh, if you had to pick one, you would go the Mystics over Traveling Matt then? That's <laughs> really tough. <laughs> um, yeah, I would say the Mystics just because of how, you know, how long I spent building those things. Wow. I mean, it was... It was a lot, a lot of time and a big crew and I was basically fresh out of college and, you know, with only a year of experience in building stuff and and then all of a sudden I had like this crew of 10 people to oversee in producing it. So that was pretty amazing. Is your house just full of puppets and designs and just artwork from your, your history of working with these things? Um... Yes, in, in my studio shows. <laughs> my wife would put up with everything up I have. It's too much stuff. So how did you transition from puppet designer to toy designer? Well, when I worked on the um, Dark Crystal toys, I, um, I went to Jim and I said, you know, Jim, we're doing such amazing things with puppets. And the toy companies are just taking those concepts and then turning them into, you know, your typical toy products. Like they were a big bird ride on and, you know, they would just slap a sticker of big bird on the front of it, you know, like a, a three wheeler and, you know, maybe, you know, change the color of it and, maybe sculpt, you know, like a beak on the front or something, but it wasn't really like Big Bird. And I said, you know, like, if we were to make a ride on like that, we would make it so the kid's legs could, you know, his feet could fit into pedals that look like Big Bird's feet and, you know, make the 
you know, so he could put his hands into, you know, arms that look like Big Bird's hands and all that stuff. And I said, we should, we should really start, uh, you know, a group here at Muppets to develop toy products that we then take to the toy companies and pitch to them rather than them coming to us just to get a license. And he said to me, Tim, it's a great idea. I just don't want to do it. And I was like, totally like, whoa, okay. (laughs) You know, like, like, okay, where do I go from there? There's (laughs) nothing much I can do. So um, after um, Fraggle Rock finished, um, I, they had a glut of people working at the workshop and they said, we're going to, um, put you a lot of you on freelance staff and we'll call you in as we need you. And I continued to do toy development stuff for them. And then I, because I was no longer working full time, I decided to start playing around with my own concepts for toy products. So, um, you know, I, so I then started pitching uh, different ideas to the toy companies and getting the door shut in my face. <laughs> uh, Hasbro would see me because they had, you know, I had worked for them freelance basis doing the Dark Crystal toys, but that was about it. Uh, everybody else said, no, we don't see anybody from the outside. We don't see anybody unless we know you. Wow. Uh, we don't know you. We don't want to see you. Even you know? <laughs> even even with your resume of Jim Henson and Dark Crystal, yeah. it still yeah. shut doors in your face. Yeah. Wow. Careless. And then I was at Toy Fair in New York City, and I picked up a trade magazine, and there was an ad there for Seven Towns who had done Rubik's Cube, and I called them and I said, you know, I w- I would like to come and show you some toy designs I've been doing and working on, and um, they said, we don't see people from the outside. <laughs> like, Damn. You're like, how the hell do you get into this business? You <laughs> no know? doubt. And, and I said, you know, I've been working for the Muppets for the last, you know, five years, six years. And, um, you know, I have these, some really great concepts. And they said, oh, you work for Muppets? There you go. I said, yeah. And then <laughs> they said, okay, why don't you come in and show us what what you've been working on so that's how it started well what's your thoughts on the ongoing popularity of your work especially Boglins I you know I don't know maybe well you know it's funny because um four years ago five years ago my my daughter said to me yeah it's like five years now you know, Dad, you should start doing some designer toys. And I said, what's designer toys? And, and I, she said, they're toys that are, you know, uh, that people design and sell themselves. And they, you know, like sell one-offs or, you know, limited edition pieces. And I said, to that, I said, Arian, I don't know how that can possibly um, work, you know? It, it, you just can't make enough money doing that. So I was in LA maybe, I don't know, nine months after that. And there was a play, there, there was a gallery there called the toy art gallery. And I walked in, I started talking to the guy and he said, well, what have you done? And I, I told him and he brought it up on the computer and he said, Oh man, he said, you should come and do some stuff with us, you know, People have been ripping you off for years, <laughs> and I said, "Yes, I know." So, so I I designed a character called a totem, which is a monster that you can stack basically into a totem pole, um, and uh, they produced it. And then um, I would do customized painted versions of that or add on to them and re-sculpt them. And that's what got me into the idea of then when people found out that I had worked on Boglins and Sectors and uh, a lot of the stuff for Melissa and Doug toys, 
they said, you know, they said, why, why don't you bring back Boglins? And I said, well, I've been trying, you know, uh, Maureen Trotto, who, who I worked on Boglins with, um, we had both been trying to get Boglins back into the marketplace for quite some time. And um, then finally, uh, I, you know, they kept, all these guys kept on pestering me on via email saying, you know, like, when are you going to bring Boglins back? When are you going to so then I thought, well, why don't I start playing around, you know, and see what I can produce myself as a limited edition piece. And I started working with Clutter Gallery and Beacon on, uh, we relaunched doing the mini Boglins, which came out in Europe and were never sold in the U.S. And we did a series of those, and that was quite successful. And then we did a large uh, resin Boglin that you could pose and you know all these different artists have taken it on and re you know did it in the, their own way and that everybody was saying to me no we don't want you know like we don't want these little ones we want the ones we used to have when we were kids so I started experimenting with a lot of different rubbers uh, silicone rubbers and um, urethane rubbers I didn't like any of them and then was it hard um, to find the original material that uh, you used with uh, Mattel well, the original the original material was uh, craton which has to be injection molded and um, I knew you know that there was no way I was gonna set up an injection molding process to do limited edition series it's too expensive so um, I looked into rotomolding them um, in copper molds, but even that is quite expensive. Like the startup cost for a single cavity mold is about five or six thousand dollars, which wow. um, didn't make sense. So um, then I don't know why it just like one day it just came into my head of. Um, looking back at old prosthetic materials because even foam latex is not practical because it doesn't hold up and it's um, it's difficult to get it to be consistent. Uh, you end up with a lot of flaws in it. Um, and I started fooling around with um, some old vinyls that uh, were used in prosthetic makeup. And that's how I was able to get something as close to the original Boglin material as possible. So I contacted a plastics company and we worked back and forth on getting uh, the mix of the material to be what I want it to be. Uh, not too hard, not too soft, not too gooey, not too, you know, um, whatever, you know, not too dry and hard so um you know it took me about three months of going back and forth with them until finally we got a compounded uh vinyl that worked and i've been working with that ever since and relaunching the boglins and it's been going great i you know it's like i've been doing all these crazy shows and <laughs> um the response has been wonderful I, it's it's totally amazing to have it come full circle like that yeah so. and i love your totems man like i was looking at uh at totems.com today and uh, there's that uh, yeah. king tofu is that his name oh yeah king, king tufus king tufus yeah. yeah that thing is awesome looking man so is, is that one of the ones that you can actually turn into a totem or is that just an isolated um, character no that's a freestanding character okay that is awesome man I just haven't had the time to produce them yet. I've been so busy with doing Boglins, and um, but I would like to get him out in in some form. And um, one of the issues was I the original one was probably too big and too heavy to produce, so I've scaled it down in size. It's just I haven't had a chance to to work on it. I've been too busy yeah that's a great too design crazy. but where where do you start Thanks. when creating a toy design do you draw it out sculpt it is there any special tools or programs i mean tell us about your process um 
much to many people's amazement, I don't uh, usually draw things. I just start working in clay. Um, and or if I have to make puppets for a TV commercial or a show, I just build. Um, I don't usually draw them out. I just build directly. Nice. And I see more three-dimensionally than I do two-dimensionally. Um, I've had art directors at toy companies say to me, wait a minute, when you worked at Henson, you would just make a puppet? <laughs> and I say yes. That's awesome. And they say, "You mean Jim didn't want you to draw it out first and show him what you were going to do?" And I said, "No, you know, he's, he would come in and you know, like they'd say, okay, we need you know ten background characters for a Muppet Show, you know, and they have to be all done by you know in three weeks or something. So, you know, there really wasn't time. We just." We just started building. We would, you know, and for me, it was great because I, I, because I think dimensionally, I would just go, oh, okay, I want to do this. And it's funny because like one of the, one of the puppets I made for Muppet Show was uh, an angler fish and it got turned into like a female um, music hall singer that Louise Gold performed. And I never knew that it made it on the show because a lot of times when we were in England, we were working such long hours, we didn't have time to watch Muppet Show. So I didn't even realize that it, it had gotten on until, I don't know, maybe two years ago. Um, I was looking online on YouTube, or I would think I was looking at the Muppet uh, Wiki site, and they had a piece there on Louise Gold, and there was this, you know, anglerfish I had designed. I was going, oh my gosh, I never knew that. And it said what episode it was. So then oh, I wow. found it on YouTube. Now, would you rather make Boglins <laughs> yourself, or would you rather be um, a part of Mattel still? Sorry, say that again? Yeah, would you rather be making uh, Boglins like you are now, or would you rather be uh, producing them through Mattel like you were in the 80s? Well... I, to tell you the truth, I'd like to do both. I, I would like to get Boglins back out um, more recently since I I started redoing them. Um, we've had some interest in from some toy companies. Um, and I would like to, them to be back in the retail market because as you know, the attention is for kids to be able to interact with them and play with them um, and build their own character from what they're playing with. Exactly. And and interact with it. So I would like uh, very much for them to be back in the retail market because I want kids to have the same experience that, you know, all these guys now who have kids experience when they were little. That's why they came started pestering me. They said, you know, there's nothing <laughs> out there for me to buy my kids that's as fun as what Boglins was. And I said, I said, okay, well, I'll see what I can do. But, you know, the price points are high because I'm making them all by hand. And so it would be great to get them back on the retail market. You know, I still have tons of ideas of where I would like to see the characters go and who they would be and, um, so it might happen, you know, it's like, we'll see, we'll see what happens. But in the meantime, I'm really enjoying, um, making them myself and doing one of a kind pieces and limited edition series and, um, people are enjoying getting them and fooling around with them just like they did 30 years ago. So, and you sold, good. you sold the Boglin idea to Mattel, what, like late eighties? Yeah, I think they they originally came out 85, 86. What was your relationship with Mattel? Was that a good business relationship? No, I, I we had very little contact with Mattel actually. Oh wow. They bought the concept, they basically kept it very similar to what Maureen and I had designed. Um 
you know, it's not that far a departure from the original Boglin that I sculpted, and I had designed the eye mechanism and uh, also a mechanism to control his hand, um, which they they didn't do because it was it proved to be too expensive. But um, it would be fun to bring that back out. I should start messing around with that again. <laughs> but uh, once they took it over, they basically you know uh, went with it. But it it was it was much more much closer in styling to what we presented originally than Sectors was. Sectors uh, was much more naturalistic and realistic as far as the insect creatures um, than what uh, uh, Coleco had done with it. They they simplified it or streamlined it dramatically because i we really wanted the bugs to be you know really creepy and hairy and which which they were i mean as far as we know it was the first time that fur fabric was used in that way for a boy's toy and a lot of the objection to sectors when we were showing it was well boys don't play with plush and we said well no if the plush is really creepy and hairy and disgusting boys will love it (laughs) which of course they did yeah you know know, it's crazy because like sectars um i i love them now but it's a toy line that i didn't play with as a kid but as an adult i'm fascinated with these things now uh can you give our listeners just the the premise you know what are sectars the uh the warriors of symbion well um basically it came out of when i had free time when i was working at for Kermit, I um, was fooling around with making a very realistic-looking fly and using my fingers as the legs to walk. Oh, that's awesome. And I had to go to a Halloween party, and I didn't like wearing masks because then you can't eat and talk you know, or drink while you're at the party or you have to keep taking the mask off and putting it back on, you know. So I took this fly and I would just go around and, like, have it land on somebody's shoulder. (laughs) And, of course, they'd freak out. Or I would, you know, like, stick his nose in somebody's drink and they would flip out. So I got such a great reaction to that, more so than any costume you know, or mask I would have made that I, I thought, oh, well, this would make a great kid's toy at some point. And um, when I showed it to Larry Mass at Seven Towns, who was their agent in New York at that time, he said, oh, this is brilliant. We can put an action figure on the back of this and kids can make believe they're flying, you know, this creature around the room with an action figure and everything else. So then Maureen and I started making uh, prototype versions of what we wanted sectors to be based on insects. And um, it was presented to, I'm not sure exactly how many companies Seven Towns showed it to, but at Toy Fair that year, but Coleco saw it and immediately wanted it. They said, you know, they got it right away and they, they, ran with it so and they released around the same time as masters of the universe didn't they no i think it was two years masters of the universe was already out on the market and was wildly successful and all the toy companies were trying to come up with something um you know that they could compete with masters and Sectors was just so different that people didn't even necessarily make the association that it or equate it with oh, well, masters. Because okay. they so were roughly the, the same. Time. They were roughly the same size too, weren't they? Like you could have He-Man. No, sectors were taller. The, the action figures themselves were taller, and of course, the creatures were were interactive. You know, it's like you could you were totally in control of what the sectors did, whereas um, 
uh, He-Man was all just posable stuff. You know, a lot of toy designers, when they, they meet me, they say, oh my gosh, I had tech toys when I was a kid. It, it was like the, mo- the most amazing toy <laughs> I've ever had because, you know, like you became the character. And I said, yeah, that was the whole point. You know, that was exactly what we were shooting for. So, were you ever uh, involved in the tie-in uh, cartoon series or books and comics? Uh, Maureen worked on the storyline for um, a movie for Sectors, which we were in production with in California. Like We were six weeks into production where it was going to be a stop-motion um, uh, live-action combination, kind of like Harry Housing. And um, we were, we had built, started building really large insets for the actors to ride on the back of, as well as the Kyoto brothers had been, uh, working on building the stop motion insects. And Maureen and I were both overseeing that, uh, Larry Brody, who had the script for Conan had been hired to, uh, create the script for the movie. Um, and yeah, so Maureen and I were both out there working on this and, and, uh, then Coleco pulled the plug and Universal was going to produce it. And we went back to Connecticut and, uh, they said, we can't afford to spend that kind of money, blah, 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 blah. Even though, Universal had agreed to put up half the budget, and we were like flabbergasted. We were like, "What the hell's going on?" And it and it just turned out that Coleco had lost so much money on Adam Computer that they were on the well, they were they were going towards bankruptcy, and that's what that was it. That was the end. They. The sectors, you know, just basically disappeared because Coleco had just tried to make this desktop computer and spent so much money development and then they came out and it was, you know, a big disaster. So that was the end of that. Well, and you're actually, you're making sectors now, aren't you? Yeah, I just took um, the original characters and blew them up. I thought it would be fun to do them as 10-inch figures, you know, just to have them more commanding. Um, Maureen has also been working on a new comic book series. Oh, cool. Uh, So we're looking forward to releasing that. And Zika Toys is doing a four-inch scale, a relaunch of the four-inch scale uh, Sectors figures. Um, They should have them out this fall. They did it through a Kickstarter, and it it funded within like a few weeks. So that was really good. You know, it's nice to know that people still love it to that point that they want them again. Yeah, I mean, so, they're constantly sold out. Um, I know you're on East Coast as well. Um, have you ever heard of uh, Kokomo Toy Store? Yes, and it's in Indiana. Yeah, yeah, in Indiana. Um, I'm about an hour away from that, and I went about two weeks ago. And I was just going to pick up a few of them. And, uh, you know, there were some there about a month ago, and they were completely sold out of Sectars. And they, uh, they only had one Boglin left in their case. So people are still picking this stuff up like like hotcakes, man. Yeah, well, you know, it's, it's interesting how you just take a step, you know, to get getting them back out in the public eye. And then people go, oh, yeah, those were great. Because, like, <laughs> You know, because it's very interesting to, I mean, Boglins was much more successful in Europe than it was, than it was here. And it went on for like seven or eight years in Europe. And um, a lot of kids or a lot of people who see it now on my Instagram page or on Facebook or whatever, you know, that I'm, I'm putting it out there. They go, oh, I remember those things. What were they called again? You know, like, <laughs> because they were little kids. It was, you know, it was more about what they got and named it and how they interacted with it. And, and I uh, recently I sent 
someone to somebody and um, their daughter was playing with it and he couldn't find it and he, he said he said where's you know where's that that little monster puppet I gave you <laughs> she said oh you mean Mr. Booger <laughs> and I love that you know just because she couldn't remember it as Boglin she remembered it as Booger so, that's hilarious you know, to her it's you know it's Mr. Booger yeah. which which I love that's the great thing about kids is they they basically adopt it and create the character themselves and it it it's wonderful for me to hear that stuff and it's and it's great seeing kids playing with you know like people will send me photos of their kids playing with them and it's right back to exactly what the whole idea that was driving it you know 30 years ago is is that interaction and that immediacy of children being able to manipulate and control something and you know they have um the connection and and are able to fantasize with it and and play with it which is that's the best part you know yeah and i'll never forget that commercial i'm i was born in 78 and uh so i'll never forget that commercial man where uh the boglins are terrifying uh the ant and they're eating your peas right. and they're scaring little girls, man. I'll never forget that yeah. commercial. I wanted to bog, I wanted all the boglins after I watched that commercial. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it, it was very effective to say the least. But uh, and, you know, that was the whole that was the whole point was to give kids something to play with, like what they were seeing in the movies. Yeah, exactly. And we had already sold boglins to Mattel. And Maureen and I, that summer, went to see Gremlins. And we went, oh, my God, that's it, forget it. You know, Gremlins will come out as a toy product and totally overshadow Boglins, and Boglins isn't going to, you know, just going to be a blip, you know. But, uh, you know, at that time, the, the sophistication of licensing wasn't there yet, and um, Gremlins didn't come out as a toy till I think a year after that. So we were very lucky to get violence into the marketplace, you know, just as the movie had come out. So Gremlins came out that summer, that fall, violence started appearing on the toy shelves and they just flew out. You know, they, it was, it was wildly successful. And, um, we never understood why uh, Mattel didn't continue with it. They didn't see how it could have been brought, and I, to this day, have no idea why they passed. You know, they ended it dropping it, but then we took it to Europe, and it just kept going and going and going. And um, so, hopefully, somebody will will get it, and you know the. They'll be back out in the retail market. Well, hell, I was reading an article today about a collector in Japan that has every single Boglin. Have you ever met that guy? I don't know. I, you know, like I've had certain, I have quite a few uh, Japanese collectors who have been getting the new ones from me. I, I, not sure who or which one it might be that has all of them. I have no idea. You know, I had an awesome interview with um, the guy who uh, created uh, the toys that made us. Um, yeah. Have they reached out to you at all for any uh, any further uh, seasons? They, they, early on, I think when the show was just being promoted, I um, had some contact with them. I don't think, you know, I don't know that either sectors or balance was that big of a blockbuster that they will consider it. They might down the road. I have no idea. Yeah, that'd but, be a that'd be a fun episode. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. Yeah. You know? Well, before we end this uh, conversation tonight, do you have a favorite Boglin design? What's your favorite? Oh, Dwarfus, definitely, because awesome. it looks the most like the one that I originally uh, designed and sculpted. Nice. How long does it take you to actually create one of these Boglins? 
Um, I have no idea. <laughs> um, it, sometimes it comes quickly and easily. Uh, sometimes I sculpt them and build them, and I'm not happy with the manipulation, and I have to re-sculpt the interior to get it to work right. So uh, it's a two-part process of sculpting the outside, and then you have to consider it how it gets manipulated as a hand puppet. And um, so where the material is thick or thin uh, definitely uh, affects the expression that the puppet is capable of making. Like the new one that I did recently, the Swag, which is the creature from the Black Bog, which is a payoff of the creature from the Black Lagoon. Um, I have I had actually resculpted the interior for that one I think three times before I was happy with it, but now it's like the most expressive of all the ones I've done. <laughs> like you can really. Uh, manipulate his face with your fingers and get uh, some wonderful expressions. That's awesome. I'm going to be uh, ordering some uh, Boglins off your site here soon. Is there Because you have a few different... So you have the mini Boglins, right? And then you have um, the the ones from back in like the 80s, that size, correct? Is there just those yeah, two I have, sizes? I have Swag, which is the largest one I've done so far. Um I have the small bog one, which is Grumpf, and then uh, one that's a little bit smaller than that, which is uh, Neep, who's, who's um, really, I did more for like a kid's pan. And we have a bunch, I have a bunch of mini finger puppets, and I'm going to be doing more of those finger puppets because I, I have some ideas about where I want to take those to make them more expressive. So, you know, it's like my biggest problem is I have more ideas than I have time. And, <laughs> um, more recently, I've been working on the Bat Boglin, which was supposed to come out the second year for Mattel and was never launched. And I had done drawings for it, but uh, it was never produced. And in a way, I was glad because they just took the large Boglins and put wings on them. <laughs> and I really wanted it to be a separate character. So I've been, a lot of people have been pestering me since I started making it. Are you ever going to bring out the bat boggles? Are you ever going to bring out the bat boggles? Because the real collectors are just crazy for, you know, for those to come out. So I started working on it. And I thought, oh, it be a great launch for Halloween this year. So um, that's what I've been doing for the last few days it's just working on bat bog ones that's all awesome. as well as shipping out all the orders that i have <laughs> so i kind of split my time um by spending most of my morning sculpting and then my afternoons uh assembling stuff and getting it packaged and shipped out the door so anything i haven't brought up that you want our listeners to know about um yeah just check out the website see all the new bottoms it's www.totims it's a play on my name totems.com and um, on Instagram it's Tim Clark Toys and on Facebook it's Tim Clark Toys and Clark has an E at the end and you know I love hearing from people and seeing what they think about where I'm taking them and what I'm doing with them and I hope to you know you know, just keep producing new characters and having fun with it. That's the best part. Is there any uh, future cons that you want to plug? Um, are you going to be going on tour or anything sure. like that? I will be at HorrorCon in New Jersey the end of September. Um, and then I will be at RetroCon in Philadelphia the middle of October. And I will be at oh there's another one in poughkeepsie new york the end of october at the poughkeepsie galleria and then the big show for me is designer con in 
California and LA in November, awesome. uh, the middle of November. That's, that's a phenomenal show that, that is just, I did it three years ago and then I did it last year and it was five times the size it was oh, wow. three years ago. They're doing a phenomenal job with that show and it just keeps building and getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And I, and I love, you know, having some small amount of time to walk around and see what all these other toy designers are doing. I mean, there's some just amazing work being done. Just extraordinarily beautiful stuff so i it's a great pleasure for me to 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 walk around and see what other people are doing well, it was so. a it was a it was a pleasure of mine tonight thank you very much tim for taking the time again i know you're a very sure. busy man so thank you uh, uh thank you for taking the time to all of our listeners you can find us on adventures in videoland.com uh, we're on instagram uh we're all over the place um the conversation always begins and ends on facebook so until next time my good people stay scared Wow.